All right, here we go. Let us pray. Bestow upon us, O God, all that thou dost ask of us, that in asking life of thee we be ready to share thy life and the weight of it, which is thy love in Christ Jesus, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Well, um, uh, very distinguished guest of honor today. Uh, we have the bishop, Bishop Litkin, from the Siberian Evangelical Lutheran Church here today. Please stand, and his wife, Dario, is here as well. You're always a little nervous teaching in front of a bishop, um, one of the few people that can defrock you. He's here, so uh, hopefully that doesn't happen after today, but it's very nice to have him. Um, we love having them come around. So you should have, you should have being passed out right now, it looks like an outline, should have number 10 on the top, and also a text from James chapter 1. I'm sure you have the outline. So can, we can at least start there, but uh, the text should be coming around as well. Vic, do you have one, buddy? All right, well, it'll get to you. All right, number 10, here we go. Incorporation and participation, Galatians and James side by side. Number one, few things to remember from last week. I think uh, last week was quite nice, actually. We finally saw that at least Paul in Galatians, it's not simply about forgiveness. It's forgiveness plus for Paul. So he says, I'm forgiven, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Uh, therefore, the reality is this is the life I've been called to live. Remember, we talked about perception and reality with Paul, the switch from we to I, and then the distinguishing characteristic of the Christian. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Uh, which may have been a surprise for some of you to see that in St. Paul's uh, epistle to the Galatians. You maybe, maybe, maybe expected it in James, but you saw it in Paul. So just a few things then to keep front and center as we move forward. Jesus does the verbs. Again, this is uniquely Lutheran. We read the Newhouse quote, uh, I won't claim faith. It's all about Jesus. And so this also, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, Galatians 2.20. And so this as well, Jesus does his verbs in and through us. And that is very important. Remember, Jesus lives in the Christian. The Christian lives in the flesh. Therefore, Jesus lives in our flesh. And that's how he does what he needs to do in the world. Okay? Yes? Who confesses the creed first, you or Jesus? Probably Jesus. So Jesus would believe first. Um, actually, it's we believe. It would be we believe. Um, but Jesus would confess the creed first. But the only reason you're confessing um, is because of the one who lives in you. That's the whole point. So Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So even when you stand here on Sunday morning and say, I believe in God the Father Almighty. It's not you who's saying that, but it's Jesus who's saying that through you. Yep. All about Jesus. He does all the verbs. So even when you think uh, there's a verb for you to do, first and foremost, it's given to Jesus. Yeah, right. The catechism, yeah, exactly. Uh, you remember Luther's explanation to the third article. I believe I can't believe, or as it literally says, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord. But Jesus calls me by the gospel, enlightens me with his gifts, right? So Jesus does the verbs, okay? 
So the only way, then, that Christ can have his way in the world, and this is very important, this is all that Jesus wants. How can Jesus be active in the world? The only way that Christ can have his way in the world is if he can be living and verbing through us. Anything else would mean a purposeless death for him, Galatians 2.21, and a purposeless life for us. You have to ask the question. Maybe it's the wrong question, but it's at least interesting. Um, If Jesus wasn't living and verbing through you, would he cease to exist? That's the only way he lives. That's the only way he operates is by working through means. Uh, I said to the new members about three weeks ago, Jesus has always been a Lutheran. Um, They laughed. You didn't. Just like my 60s joke in the sermon. No one laughed at that either. Although, last night, I was very surprised. Small crowd on Saturday nights, big chuckle. It was great, actually. They were from the 60s. That's their, that's their demographic. Some of you never had those bumper stickers or T-shirts, but all of them did. So they thought it was funny, but I'm, I can only do so much. At least, Yeah, well, that's probably true. Don't claim it as your own. Uh, But you have to wonder if Jesus would cease to exist. The only way he can exist in the world, and I know, you know, don't write me an email and say, oh, he could exist this way. I realize that. But the primary way in which he exists in the world is by working working through means. Okay? Even in the Old Testament, he speaks by the mouth of the prophets. Right? And then in the New Testament, he works by his appointed means. Bread and wine and water and word and even the Christian. You are, in a very broad sense, a means of grace. You are the means by which Jesus delivers his mercy to creation. Okay? That's very important. That that puts a whole different spin on the Christian life. If it wasn't for you, Jesus couldn't be doing what he needs to be doing. So forgiveness, then, forgiveness or justification, or as St. Paul says, rectification, that one is in particular... uh, That that one particularly is a uniquely Pauline term, rectification. These are but the first words spoken. Forgiveness is the very first word spoken and not the last. Or to say it another way, to be forgiven is the first step toward living forgiven or toward the Lord getting best possible use of us. you You don't come to church just to be forgiven. You come to church so you can be forgiven and push towards something else. Forgiveness is the first word and not the last. That makes sense? Yes, okay, good. Forgiveness is the first word and not the last. So then St. James. Look at your text there if you've got it. James 1, 19 to 27. Vic, you still don't have one. That worries me, buddy. St. James, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Think about your own life. (laughs) Usually it's quick to speak, quick to anger, slow to hear. Right? Just like Matthew 18. You go to everybody, then you go to two or three people, and then you go to your brother. Right? That's not the way it is in the Bible. Everything's upside down. Quick to hear. Slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. 
the passive reception of the word, that would be Jesus doing the verbs, the passive reception of the word, its implantedness, is a reference to your being forgiven. At one time, there was a point in time where the Lord baptized you and forgave you. You came in this morning, there's a point in time where the pastor forgives you. You come to the altar, there's a point in time where he puts his body and blood into you and forgives you. That's the word's implantedness. It's been put inside of you. It's had its way with you. It's been implanted through forehead at the font, through your ear in preaching and absolution, and through your mouth at the altar. James is talking about right here what it means to be forgiven. The word has been put inside of you. Jesus is the word. So what James is saying, as you see in the outline, remember who you are. Remember who you are. And take advantage of what you've already been given. And who we are, this was St. Paul last week, has been dramatically redefined by what we've been given. We've been given Christ. It was great to hear in the prayers today um, at the Eucharistic petition. Uh, give us all of yourself, body, blood, soul, and divinity. There's no, there's no bit of Jesus that's not given to you at the altar. There's not one ounce of Jesus that he doesn't put in through your forehead at the font. It's all of Jesus. His body, his blood, his soul, and his divinity. That's why we can say at the ascension, make us partakers of your divine nature. Or as St. Paul says in Colossians, in Christ, the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. If you have Jesus in his body, you have all of God himself. So take advantage of what you've been given. We have been dramatically changed. We've been given Christ tangibly, concretely, sacramentally, completely, body, blood, soul, and divinity. We are totally his, and he is totally ours. So flip your page then. James goes on to say, and read this next to your text that you've got in front of you. James goes on to say, given all of that, the fact that Jesus has had his way with you, that's St. Paul. He's implanted his word in you. He's forgiven you. Given all of that, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. And, and honestly, this is where we wrapped up last week. What follows the word being implanted? What follows, you know, the kid last night who came to the font and got soaked? What follows listening to a homily? What follows being forgiven? What follows going to the altar and having the body and the blood put into your mouth? What follows that is a thoroughly Christological life that is active in service to the church and the world. A life of obedience, that's the gospel for today. Even the demons obey. Even the demons obey. And not by force. Jesus doesn't do anything by force. A life of obedience, humility, joy, patience, generosity, mercy, prayer, Eucharist, absolution, sacramental hearing. That was Christmas. Sacramental voice, John the Baptist has one. The angel has one. Witness, fearlessness, and anything else that you can find in Christ's person and work. If you can find it in Jesus, you should be able to find it in yourself. And that's not a law way of talking, like go home and look in the mirror and see if you can find Jesus, because I don't think you can. It's <laughs> you've consumed his body, his blood, his soul, and his divinity. Ephesians 5, husbands and wives, that's you and Jesus before it's you and your spouse. Everything that Jesus has, he gives to you. And living that implanted life 
should come as a gospel word. It's a life that wants the best for you and for the world. You completely misunderstand the Christian life if you think that the imperatives in Scripture, love your neighbor, do good to those who hate you, or the imperatives even here in church, give a winsome witness, be obedient, obey, love authority. You completely misunderstand the Christian life if you see those things that are against you and not for you. If they're good enough for Jesus, they're good enough for us, I would hope. Okay? These are all gospel words. They want the best life for you and for the world. So David Scare, I'm always a little wary about quoting David Scare, especially as the bishop noted, everything that was said at the symposium. But this, this is helpful here. The word of which James is speaking should not be understood as the law with its regulations and condemnations, but rather as the gospel, the totality of the revelation which God has provided in the person of Jesus Christ, who Christ is and what Christ does. The word which Christians are to do is the same implanted word which is able to save their souls. We are to be doing Jesus to the world. Or as Aidan Cavanaugh once said, the, the great liturgical scholar from Yale, he once said, God does the world the way that the world needs to be done. God does the world the way the world needs to be done. We are to be doing Jesus to the world. So you love people the way the world needs to be loved. You give them Jesus the way that they need to receive Jesus. Sometimes that's the Jesus who says, let's go to Starbucks and have a cup of coffee. It's not about arguing people into the faith. It's not about, I'm tired of fighting. It's not about fighting. It's not about any of that. It's about being faithful and realizing that faithfulness means you bear the person of Christ in your body. When people come in contact with us, they should come in, they should come in contact with Jesus Christ himself. So then, St. James, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, all you do is listen to the word, but you don't act. If anyone is forgiven but doesn't live forgiven, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face. The Greek word there is prosopon, which doesn't just mean image or face. It actually means your person, who you are. He looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, he looks at who he truly is. The face, you remember the Old Testament, if you had the face of the Lord, that revealed the whole person. He looks at who he truly is. You are a little Christ. When you wake up in the morning with the eighth grade, what we did is we put a crucifix on a mirror and we said, come look at the mirror. What do you see? Don't tell anyone. What do you see? It's the same for you. When you wake up in the morning, you look in the mirror, you should see Jesus Christ himself. He is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. If you only hear and you don't do, it's like looking in a mirror and saying, wow, I bear the presence of Christ, and then going away and instantly forgetting who you are and what you bear. Who am I? If you end with being forgiven, if you are a hearer only, if the word implants itself and doesn't have its way with you, you'll end up forgetting who you truly are. Remember St. Paul, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And if you forget who you truly are, then you'll end up forgetting Jesus because you and Jesus are one and the same. 
But if you begin, if you begin with a forgiveness that pushes you toward a life lived fully in Christ, just as he lives fully in you, or as St. James says, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, if you're one who acts in the faith, then you will be blessed. The same word used in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. You will be blessed in your doing precisely because it is not you who is doing, but Christ who is doing through you. Okay? If you're one who hears only, you come to church on Sunday, isn't this great, I've been all forgiven, and walks out the door, and isn't moved to live the, Christ, the life that Christ has called you to live, you're like a man who looks in the mirror and says, wow, I bear the presence of Jesus, and two minutes later you walk away and you say, who am I again? You're reminded of who you are in the doing. If anything, don't, you know, don't even say, well, I don't like my neighbor, I don't love my neighbor. If you want to remember who you are, live the life that Christ has called you to live. That's how you remember who you are. And we will be blessed. This is very important. This makes it a gospel word and not a law word. We will be blessed not because of what we do. James is not saying if you do A through Z, then you'll be blessed. That is not what he is saying. But it is a blessedness that is recognizable in what we do. That's why he says you will be blessed in your doing. So in living the life that Christ has called you to live, you're not living it so that one day Jesus says, wow, you did a hundred great things for me and now you're blessed. You live the life that Jesus has called you to live so that others can see you've been blessed already. We're not asking you to do things. I want to be very clear here. We're not asking you to do things. We're not asking you to live the Christian life so that you'll be blessed. That's a law way of talking. We're asking you that your blessedness shine through in all that you do. That you actually listen to the post-communion collect. Strengthen us in true faith toward thee and in fervent love toward one another. That you actually listen to the end of the Mass. Go the mission. Walk out the door and actually do what Christ has called you to do. And as you see there, because James is always working, I'm sorry, James, because Christ is always working and nudging and pushing and stretching us, that's the doing bit, we are constantly being reminded of who we are in him. Our face is always before the mirror. Okay? Our face is always before the mirror. If you only hear, you walk away and you forget. If you do, it's as though you're in front of the mirror all day saying, that's right, Jesus and I are one and the same. And that... that that changes everything from being a faithful Christian to giving a faithful witness to being a good parent. You need to embody the presence of Christ even for your children, for your friends, for non-believers, for Christians, for each other. This is the mutual conversation and consolation of the brethren. People are down right now. People are up right now. People couldn't care less right now. People really care a lot right now. But to come together and embody the presence of Christ, that's how the community is strengthened. That's why the sermon ended by saying to move forward is to follow Jesus when he says, follow me. Or it's to do as James says, don't just be a hearer, be a doer. All of that is a gospel word. And you remember from last week, the Lord works then not by perception, 
but by reality. And, and actually, in thinking through last week what was said, reality is utterly sacramental. It's when things, real things, happen in time and space. It's the kind of stuff of flesh and blood. Perception is not sacramental. Reality is sacramental. And that's how the Lord works. So if anyone thinks, or as James says, if anyone perceives that he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. If all you do is talk, you don't bridle your tongue. He's not saying don't swear or don't talk ill of people. If you don't just stop talking, <laughs> this person's religion is worthless. But religion that is pure and undefiled Religion that is forgiven, religion that's holy, religion that begins with Jesus, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, I love this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Religion is not just about hearing, it is about doing. And to visit the poor and suffering ones, the orphans and the widows, remember in the Psalms, Jesus cares especially for these, the widows and the fatherless. That's why the widow's son at Nain is such a great text. Her husband's dead and the boy's now fatherless. To visit the poor and suffering ones, the orphans and the widows, is to do two things. It's to visit Jesus Christ himself. You remember, Jesus is hiding in those of low degree. The end of the church here. Jesus, when did we see you in prison? When did we see you naked? When did we see you hungry and thirsty? If you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. Perception is not reality. When did we do it? Perception. Reality. You did it to the least of these, my brethren. So when you visit the poor and suffering ones, you're actually visiting Jesus Christ himself. He's hiding in those people. And when you visit them, you're actually visiting as Jesus Christ himself. The Greek word used here for visit is the exact same word used of God's gracious visitation of us and his beloved son. It's the exact same word used in the Magnificat. Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Your visiting, then, is utterly incarnational. And that's just a fancy way of saying, you do what Mary did. You do what Christians and prophets throughout all the ages have done, what all the martyrs have done, what all the saints have done. You bear Jesus in your body to a world that is broken and a world that desperately needs and wants to come in contact with the person of Christ. That is our only hope. You're visiting Jesus with Jesus. Okay? You're visiting Jesus with Jesus, and your visit is an incarnational event. You bear in your body the presence of Christ. And so I guess at the end, you know, we've got about eight or nine minutes left. At the, you know, at the end, you just need to say, is that truly us? Um, and if it is, great. If it's not, we've got some work to do. That's not a bad thing. But uh, a little encouragement always goes a long way. So let me read this, and then we'll take some questions if you've got some. 
James should be read not from the Pauline perspective, so Galatians, Ephesians, but from the perspective of Jesus, especially as he appears in the Sermon on the Mount. Fascinating that James used blessed, and it's the exact same word used in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said blessed are the poor in spirit, the Beatitudes. The sermon, like James, has been read chiefly as law, for which Paul provided a corrective antidote of free salvation. When the sermon is understood as Jesus presenting the gospel about himself, this is who I am, then James can be understood as also presenting the gospel about Jesus for the lives of troubled Christians. James is not the moralistic whip against sinners. He's not out to get us. But the extension of the gospel's hand into the frantic lives of persecuted Christians who are stumbling and falling under the, under the burdens they find oppressive. In a very real, real way, James is extending the invitation of Jesus to the weary to come to him. If you live this life, you've got me. I'm there. All is well. And so I pose the question at this time in our life together, could there be a more appropriate book to be studying than James? Okay, just stuff to think about. Any questions? I know that was, a, that was very quick, much more quickly than what I expected. I just get going every once in a while. Any questions on, uh, on James 1? Yes? The question is, is Christ the perfect law or the law of freedom? That's kind of a play on words, because you never think of the law as freedom. The law, by its very, by its very definition, is anti-freedom. It's force and oppression, and uh, it, it's everything but freedom. So what he's, this is a play on what he's essentially saying here is uh, the redeemed law, which is the gospel. It's who Jesus is. What else? Yes? <laughs> yeah, right. you know the mark of spiritual maturity is when you can do the Lord's bidding, when you can hear those imperatives and rejoice in doing them. I mean, when you can tithe and say, I was just thinking about it this morning, actually, um, how you can tithe and begin to say, I don't even think about it. 
or I brought someone to my home and it's not a big deal. I mean, that's the mark of spiritual maturity. And that's what, frankly, that's where James is trying to push the church. Um, what, what the church that James is writing to is rejoicing in is God has forgiven us freely. Now what? Right? Paul, Paul's church is saying, do I have to be circumcised? Do I not have to be circumcised? Can I eat this food? Can I not eat this food? And Paul's saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's all about Jesus. It's all about his free gift. James's church is saying, we've been forgiven. Implanted word. Now what? Okay? And James is trying to push them towards spiritual maturity, which is rejoice in the doing. Because in the doing, it's like a man standing before a mirror, and he continues to see, ah, I bear the presence of Christ. Isn't that great? He forgives me and loves me, cares for me deeply, and he's never going to let me go. Okay? What else? Do you have anything, Bishop? Bishop? Either of the bishops? <laughs> Bishop Lotzi? <laughs> Bishop Big B? Bishop Little B? <laughs> All right, well, makes me a little nervous, but, you know, that's how it goes. Um, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. But keep, keep plugging along in James, and you need to read it that way. James is moving them towards maturity. Paul's saying, hey, it's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus does for you. But reading them together uh, should enlighten us here because we could use a little bit of both. Okay? All right, let's close with prayer. And then, uh, then we'll, we'll head on our way. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right, thank you very much.